Episode number two of the NPH Hour is here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom, here to bring you your weekly dose of Canadian basketball stories and interviews. We have three great guests on this program with a common theme, piecing them all together. Unique journeys that brought them all to where they are now and the fact that none of them would change anything no matter the trials and tribulations they faced along the way, so often we become focused on the goal or the end game. We end up missing out on the joy that the process itself can bring. Someone who speaks so eloquently about that is the Vice President of Basketball and Franchise Operations of the Raptors 905, Courtney Charles, who has an amazing path he took to his current role with the Raptors G League affiliate. We also have the mother of the newest edition of the Toronto Raptors, Montreal native Ken Birch, whose decade-plus journey to the NBA and his home country's professional team is extremely interesting. We start today's show at the post-secondary level, specifically Canadian University basketball, which often takes a back seat to the glitz and glamour that comes with the NCAA Division I basketball south of the border. But that is slowly starting to change, and it's due in large part to the Canadian Elite Basketball League, a professional basketball league that plays in the summer and is just a few months away from beginning their third season. Now, what is unique about the CEBL is that 70% of each team's roster must be Canadian-born players, and they got some great names coming in this year from all over the Canadian basketball landscape. On top of that, Every year in the CEBL U-Sports Draft, each of the league's seven teams select three players from Canada's university basketball programs to train, practice, and learn alongside pro ballers during the summer months while earning money to put towards their post-secondary education. It's a game-changing agreement between the league and U-Sports, which should make staying home to play post-secondary basketball not a second option, but a great option. Because currently, student-athletes in the United States are fighting an uphill battle to be able to sign endorsement deals, maybe earn a slice of the billion-dollar pie that is earned off of their backs, or even accept a slice of pie from the local bakery for free because the shop owner thinks they had a good game. Seriously, players in the NCAA are not allowed to accept anything that they are offered of any value because of who they are. Now, don't get me wrong, those players are getting a free education as part of their athletic scholarship. But because of the rigors of being an athlete, many struggle academically as a result. I think it's important to recognize the success stories we are seeing from Canadian basketball players that are staying at home. A perfect example is Kudre Gray. He played at two powerhouse Toronto high schools before deciding to join former Team Canada Olympian Sean Swords, who has been the head coach at Laurentian University in Sudbury for over a decade. Gray maximized on his potential under Coach Swords, ending his U-Sports career as a two-time MVP, an academic All-Canadian, and the list just goes on. What makes it even sweeter, his first professional contract, also comes right here in Canada, in a league that didn't even exist when he graduated high school. So this is someone who trusted the process and put in the work without getting caught up in the end goal.
Kadre, first off, congratulations on signing your first pro contract with the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the Ottawa Blackjacks. And, you know, as someone who's truly a homegrown Canadian talent, you know, staying here in high school, post-secondary as well, what does it mean to you that there's now a pro league here in Canada that has, you know, rosters full of Canadian players? Honestly, it's it's ridiculous. I think um, growing up, we never would have thought this would have been, you know, this would have been a scenario. We would have looked at, we only saw the NBA this way. So now that, you know, we're, we're onto our own thing. This is, this is amazing. We're up to something. Now you ended your collegiate career as one of the most prolific scorers, one of the most decorated in U sports history really ever. But in talking to you, it's not those accolades that you measure your success with, but rather your progression as a player, how are you able to achieve that progression and just markably get better every year in Sudbury, Ontario, of all places? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would have expected me to go there. Um, you know, definitely four hours north. Um, most Toronto people wouldn't want to do that. But um, definitely, I think it was just God's plan. Um, I, put him, I put him before everything I do. And I think, you know, he made it the, he guided me here. And I think, you know, my recruitment trip, meeting Sean, um, and just seeing his story and just seeing how humble and meek he is um, really made me think, you know what, I could do, I could do something similar to what he's done. Um, and like you said, you know, I never really was focused on, you know, how good am I, good am I? I always focus on, am I getting better every day? And that made it easier for me to just stay focused and do what I had to do on the court. And for those that don't know, we're talking about head coach Sean Swords, somebody who, you know, I've come across a number of different times in basketball gyms, the Canadian national team, uh, you know, his background, I, I think it was the connection with Steve Nash, with, with you understanding as being a point guard, that this was somebody who was going to be able to help you because of his background. Just, just speak on that a little bit for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Sean, he's got uh, 10 years, I think, professional experience, uh, played in the Olympics. I think it was 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's got a underrated background for basketball, I would say. And I met not many people know. So uh, when we came up here and we were talking to him, it was it was it's funny because we had to find out this information. He never shared it. So it just goes to speak about how humble he is. And, you know, I think that's the person that I wanted to play for um, and just made it easy. You know, he's a he's a great guy. So I thank you for him. Yeah. And I mean, in the end, there's, there's a lot more programs in U sports now that have players running the basketball side that have that sort of background. We see it, you know, there's much more diversity in the ranks and the coaching ranks and also just kind of the outside the box thinking, you know, five years ago, there wasn't as many options with that type of background. So what do you see now leaving U sports, the differences from when you started? Honestly, in terms of a talent perspective, it's been getting better every single year. Um, it, that's to, to, to say, say the least. Um, and then the coaching staff, um, you know, the assistants that are, that are coming in and being a part of the youth sport game, um, it's definitely growing. And I think um, more people, more athletes um, are taking notice of what youth sports is doing. And I think at the end of the day, I think this is the objective. They want to play professional basketball for most of these student athletes. And so... And they're starting to understand there's different avenues. There isn't just the NBA way of doing it. There's more avenues to do it. So, um, you know, some are taking the, the gamble or, you know, taking the leap of faith by going this route. And, you know, some of them are successful. We have there's a number of guys I can name, like Phil, um, Johnny, a number of guys who have already done it. So they've kind of paved the way already. Yeah, Kazakin is another one that that jumps out to me as well. And and your disciple of the Eastern Commerce basketball tree, got to shout out my guy, Kevin Jeffers. I know you'll be listening to this one. But, you know, you finished up at Oakwood. 
um, after the four years at Eastern Commerce, you had the opportunity to go the junior college route in the U.S. We have a lot of players listening right now that are facing that same sort of decision. And how much personal pride do you have kind of being part of a new generation of players that have played U sports, represented Canada internationally, and the whole time now your goal is to play professionally, you're doing it, you're doing it here at home you know, you're part of a new wave that's really blazing a new path in basketball in this country. Do you take a lot of pride in that and hoping that the young players kind of see that there's different paths and different fits for everybody? It's actually, it's the reason why I'm rocking this today, for sure. Um, just to show that, you know, you're, there's so many different ways. I Like, I never really ever thought about Team Canada. I never played with it for the junior team, none of that stuff. Um, but I got these opportunities um, really because I went down the youth sports route and what I did there. Um, so I'm trying to shed light on all these different things that you can do going this going this route. Um, but believe me, like I was once upon a time, like many of those athletes who, you know, I wanted if it wasn't Division One, it was JUCO, and then JUCO to try to get back to Division One. But um, I really I think it takes a lot of time to reflect on what do you want in your life, um, and there's so many different ways to do it. I think that's what many athletes don't understand. There's so many ways, and I hope that I'm a, a living representation of that. Um, that you can do it, man. You could doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If, it doesn't matter if you can't get into Division One, you know. I promise you, it's a different way to do it. So, um, that's just that's just me speaking on on that behalf. For those uh, listening on the radio, Kadre uh, is wearing the Team Canada, uh, you know, warm up jersey, uh, yep. and and he just got back. Uh, it was from uh, you were in Puerto Rico representing Canada, Correct. right? So uh, it's it's great to see that. And these competition windows have come with a lot of you know, issues, but it's also created a lot of opportunity. And on that level of opportunity, you're really helping build an industry here when it comes to basketball in Canada, the CEBL employing basketball people, you got former players as GMs and coaches, and you've just signed with, with a new Canadian agent, Elias Sabet, uh, who obviously, you know, helped found North Pole Hoops when it started. Um, you know, in general, the basketball community here in Canada has has been held back, I think, a lot by by politics and infighting, um, you know, lack of working together. Uh, do you see that there's kind of a change right now where where maybe COVID is doing it? The fact that we've been without basketball for a year, that there seems to be people more willing to kind of celebrate each other's successes and understand that we can help kind of uplift each other instead of pulling each other back. Yeah, I think. Honestly, I think before this, before this pandemic, it would have been tough to say that like the Canadian basketball uh, community is really tight knit just because, you know, you would have players all over the world. Um, but I think the pandemic really bringing most players, I would say back to back to, you know, their hometowns here in Canada um, has given us an ability to like reach out and meet and maybe work out together and do certain things that we couldn't do before because everybody was caught up in their contracts and stuff like that um, in the scenario. So um, I know for myself, like, you know, even last summer, I got an, an opportunity to play with a couple of the NBA guys who are Canadians, and it was a great experience um, connecting with them, meeting them. Like, all these things are great, you know what I mean? And it, it wouldn't have happened had it been before the pandemic. Um, so I think it goes to say that, like, you know, we're definitely the, – the Canadian basketball community is definitely growing, um, and we're starting to put together those pieces, like the CBL, which is really, like, kind of the, the hometown, um, bringing all the networks and vast resources that we all have, bringing them together. And saying, hey, I know you, you know me, like, you know, just that, that go to. And I think it helps a lot just to say that, like, it's, it's definitely the way we need to go because it's going to help all of us. At the end of the day, it's going to help our community grow. 
and be one of the leading nations and in, 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 whether that's globally or whether that's in the States, um, just having that connection and goes a long way. Like I can't, I can't say, I can't harp on it anymore that it's so important to have those networks um, so that, you know, all of us have somebody that we can either choose a mentor, um, have a mentor. Um, it goes so many ways. So, yeah. It really, it really takes leadership and it, it seems like it takes leadership from every angle, players, coaches, doesn't matter who it is, uh, just understanding we, we go further together, right. Instead of, instead of individually. And, and on that, I want to be able to, to get to, you know, what you've been able to do off the court. We've seen basketball at all different levels, just really forcing tangible change, Black Lives Matter, uh, WNBA, NBA, everything that they've been able to stand together. The NCAA now, we see that players are coming together to try to fight for their own rights and fighting against all forms of racism, sexism. It, it's been really amazing to see how this sport has become a vehicle for tangible change. And, and now up in Sudbury, five years ago, when you got up there, must have been a little bit of a culture shock for you. And, and I know you, you, you came up there with your wife as well. And, and what have you been able to do, you know, which started as something small and, and explain to us what it is, how it started and how you feel now when you see this happening as a worldwide movement. Yeah, that's honestly, it's, it's a conversation. It's a long conversation in itself. Um, I know for myself, um, you know, growing up in Toronto, a very diverse community, you know, you meet people from different walks of life. Um, and you kind of get to get you get to a point where you start to embrace those, those cultural differences. Um, and that's what makes the community better. And I know for myself, you know, moving up to Sudbury, um, it was definitely a culture shock, like you said, like, you know, I went from seeing different people to now, you know, mainly Caucasian people, um, some people like myself, and most of them were basketball affiliated, right. So um, it was definitely a different it was a culture shock. But in the sense that um, I think you spoke about it, like the NBA and the WNBA, like doing all these things globally, um, to, and using their platforms, the athletes using their platforms to, you know, talk about social change and, and stuff that needs to happen. Um, I think it's just a spark. It goes to it's a testament to say that, like, you know, these issues have always been going on. Um, but I'm happy, you know, the NBA, WNBA, like they've taken notice and um, they're starting to lead this initiative because um, if anybody's got the platform, they do, right? A lot of us are looking at them as, you know, before we were looking at them as just athletes, but now they're saying, hey, there's, although we play this game, um, we're using our platform to talk about so many different issues that need change. Um, and I know for myself, like kind of what you were hinting on was, you know, for myself coming up here and I noticed the, there was a community issue and just, you know, racism was a prevalent thing here. And um I know I wanted to see some change. I think I, I had that opportunity just because, like I said, I'm not just an athlete. Um, I'm a student before the athlete piece. I am, you know, I'm a person in the, that makes up this community. I connect with all the youth and I kind of have a good idea of what the community is like. Um, and I knew that it was an issue. Um, and so from, upon myself um, and two other co-founders, Hedia and Alisa and Nisa, uh, we just felt it was, you know, it was a right opportunity to create this uh, not-for-profit now um, called ULU. Um, Uluntu Lungisa Usawa, which stands for Humanity, Justice, and Equity. Um, and, you know, like, like I mentioned, we've just been trying to help make this community a little bit of a better place for everybody who's in it, right? Um, talking about, you know, Black history, things, you know, we always, it's funny that we always talk about, like, um, Black History Month, for example, in February. Like, we actually don't do anything just because that's the one month that a lot of organizations are doing stuff, but we we feel like it's a, it's a yearly thing. Like, why are we just talking about it in one month and why is it the shortest month? Of course. Um, so 
So yeah, so we just, you know, kind of took it upon ourselves to like take the scope and look at it even broader um, and try to help people and talk about like allyship, talk about, you know, the cultural differences and how, you know, we shouldn't, our history has, it's, it's race is a social construct to begin with. So we are, we're the ones that are creating the differences, but we also have the power to change the differences. Um, so that's what fighting equ all about, what, what equity is about. Uh, and now we've just done our part in just trying to help, you know, help the community. Yeah. And you said before, it's just about having uncomfortable conversations. That's what needs to happen. Um, yeah. But, but I want to thank you today for having this comfortable conversation with me uh, and for really, uh, you know, understanding what you're about, understanding what you want to do going forward, because so many times when post-secondary careers come to an end here in Canada, you know, we don't hear about players anymore. And hopefully, you know, your addition here to the CEBL and what that will be a launching pad for you internationally. We'll be able to kind of follow along, uh, not only seeing what you've been able to do at the U sports level, but now what you'll be able to do both on the court and off the court. I see great things for you in the future, my man. I really appreciate the time here today. I love it, man. Shout out North Pole Hoops. That was Kadre Gray of the Ottawa Blackjacks and an alumni of the Laurentian Voyageurs, a school that has been in the news recently for all the wrong reasons, but in talking to men's basketball head coach Sean Swords, the basketball program remains intact, which is great news, because the success we expect to see from that young man right there will only mean great things for the program that put him on his path to become a pro. Speaking of the professional ranks, up next we have the mother of an NBA player that has started her own platform to help share the stories of other moms of professional players, in hopes of helping parents that are navigating the world of high-level basketball for the very first time. Wendy Sparks, the mother of current Toronto Raptor and Team Canada member Kem Birch, coming up next on the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga, 9.60 a.m. You are listening to the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Jason Tom here bringing you interviews related to anything and everything related to Canadian basketball. A little later, you'll be hearing a story about the Raptors 905 while their parent club, the Toronto Raptors, are really struggling this season through a bunch of man games lost due to injuries and health and safety protocols due to COVID-19. One glaring spot they have needed filled all season long was in the front court, and it seems like they have found their answer with Canadian-born center Kem Birch, a player that left home at the age of 15 to chase his basketball dreams, a dream that was supported by his parents, including his mother, Wendy Sparks, who really had to learn on the fly what it meant to have a child that was a highly sought-after high school recruit due to his raw natural talents, but also had to take a winding path to get his way into the NBA. Wendy is now sharing much of her trials and tribulations along with those faced by other mothers of NBA players on her podcast, Courtside Mums. And really, she's on her way to becoming the Oprah of basketball podcasts because she gets some amazing guests, the mothers of Chris Paul, Fred Van Vliet, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, just to name a few. Outside of the star power, for you parents out there, when you have young kids that want to chase their dreams to the highest level, I cannot recommend this podcast enough. Some really good stories, some great advice, and it's just a great listen. 
Now, with her son, Kem, playing for the Raptors and set to play a big role for the senior men's national team as they attempt to qualify for the Olympics, I wanted to get Wendy on here to talk about the journey they went on as a family and how it all ended up coming back full circle to Canada's NBA team. Kem Birch, the newest member of the Toronto Raptors. And after the path that your son, Wendy Sparks, has walked over the last decade, it must be pretty amazing to kind of hear that and to know that he's a member of the Toronto Raptors. You have no idea. Oh my gosh. First of all, Kem is very grateful for the opportunities that he's had in the past with um, playing overseas in Turkey and then Greece and then able to come to the U.S. and play for um, the Magic um, for three and a half years. But there's nothing better or nothing more. I don't know what word to say. You know what I mean? I guess I want to say proud. You know what I mean? For playing for... Your, your country's one and only pro basketball team. And, and not only that, it's just, it's such a perfect fit w- with the makeup of this Raptors squad now. You know, guys that have went undrafted, under-recruited, you know, we all know sure. the Fred Van Vliet story. Uh, and, then, and then you throw in Chris Boucher from Montreal, again, undrafted, had to work his way through the G League. And, and you know, what will it do for kids in Kim's neighborhood? to see the NBA's first ever all Montreal starting front court and playing for the Raptors. Like I know, you know, you, you, you grew up in Montreal. So, so what would that mean to that community there? It means a lot because it shows the kids that hard work will get you far. We actually host camps and the purpose of hosting the camps is really to show the kids that, you know what, Hey, I'm just like you. And we did camps in 2018, 2019. We started in Montreal, then Nova Scotia, and then added Ottawa. And Kem was really engaged with the kids, where a lot of times, a lot of players will host camps and they'll come in doing a little appearance here or there, where Kem would get his shoes on and just get in there with the kids from the beginning until the end of the camp. And just to show that, you know, hey, I'm a normal guy. And I was just like you. I was your age. You know what I mean? I was six and I was playing basketball. And then, well, later on, he quit and then went back. (laughs) That's a whole other story. (laughs) But his whole point is to let them know that, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to push. If you really want something, then just go ahead and do it. So I think going back to the children, it's really, really important. Like, don't be afraid to like, you know what I mean? If you have this dream to do something, do not be afraid, go ahead and do it. And that's exactly what Kim wants the kids in Montreal or anywhere to, to, um, to be a part of. I think that's the beautiful thing that I saw. Cause when I met you at the McDonald's all American game 10 years ago, you know, Kim was probably the most unsure player in that game. And, yeah. and we all knew you know, what he could do and what he could be. I think everybody knew that he was an NBA talent and you knew that ends up going to the G league undrafted Turkey and then Greece, but he's playing for Olympiacos in Greece. Right. And for people out there, I mean, that is, that is one of the best jobs that you can get outside of the NBA when it comes to basketball. And he leaves a guaranteed contract to take a non-guaranteed deal with the Orlando magic. His dream was always to play in the NBA, always. 
So he went undrafted in 2014. He ended up in the G League. He ended up, like I said, going to Turkey and then going to Greece. And then here he has his two-year contract with Greece. And then all of a sudden, the magic call. Well, remember, like I said from the beginning, his dream was to play for the league in the NBA. He understood that it wasn't the end-all and be-all of basketball because he's living proof. He played overseas, and basketball there is amazing. But he still wanted to play in the league. He had an opportunity, and he was willing to take that risk because he knew that he had enough talent that if it didn't work with the Magic, he knew that he can go back overseas or maybe another team. So he just had to have faith. And I was so proud of him because he had faith in himself to do it. He would always call and say, okay, mom, what do you think? This is what I'd like to do, but what do you think? And I'll always give him my opinion, mm. but I'll always let him know, understand, I'm just giving you my opinion. It's not a decision. This is you. This is your career. You have to make a decision of what you want and what you think is best and never be afraid. Just go by your gut. If you feel this is what you want to do, then go ahead and exercise and don't feel bad if you fail at this because you tried. There's other teams. There's other ways that you can get to do what you want to do. Representing Canada, I know he was he was playing for Canada back in 2010 in the age group level as well. And, and, and I know how much pride he takes in that. And again, does that go back to kind of the Montreal roots as well? Because he's not only representing his country, but representing the city of Montreal, often overlooked, you know, under under recruited, just generally speaking. And when it comes to the national team, there's been always that feeling that Montreal didn't get their fair shake in years gone by of having player on players on that team. You know, how important is it for Kem to represent the red and white in Canada? Oh my goodness, very, very important to him. And just like you said, Montreal especially is so it's so underrated. There's so much good talent there, so much good programs I mean, quite a few and yet these players just fall under the radar and i mean right now actually um we have to say for example karim mané yep. who went to the magic yeah and that was amazing for kim because he was like oh my gosh you know what i mean montreal you yep. know what i mean that was that for him he was excited and now here he's back in canada and now he's playing with chris boucher and he's representing red and white so for him that's 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 very important because he's representing his country on two teams. Now he can showcase what Canadians are all about. And it just, red and white will always be our colors. And I was laughing about that the other day because our colors for our camp is blue, is blue, white, and silver. <laughs> so I was like, I think we have to change the logo. <laughs> so <laughs> I know how much of a person of faith you are and, and to understand the path that Kem walked to get here. I know he wouldn't change a thing. You probably wouldn't change a thing. Um, and I think it just makes it that much sweeter uh, that he's found his way to the Raptors and, you know, representing, you know, a city like Montreal and a country like Canada that, you know, from the basketball side, we're never given anything anyways. So I, I think your son really is, you know, a personification of what we're all about. And, and I know Raptor fans were super excited and you did a great job. And, um, you know, thank you for taking the time here today and, and, uh, courtside mom's going to be blowing up. I know you got some great <laughs> guests on there. Uh, I may have to hit yes. you up on your black book at some point, you know, to try to get some yeah. here, but you know, I could have got Kem on the show, but I wanted to get Wendy Sparks, Kem Birch's oh, mother. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. much. The courtside mom's podcast. Make sure you listen to it wherever 
you listen to your podcast. And after this short break, we're going to switch from the Raptors to the Raptors 905. Courtney Charles joins me on the NPH Hour here on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back to the NPH Hour on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I'm your host, Jason Tom, and for listeners of this radio station, you're probably aware by now that in a normal year, we broadcast on this dial all the Raptors 905 home games that take place in Mississauga at the Paramount Fine Food Center. But this year, the NBA's G League replicated the NBA bubble at the Walt Disneyland Resort in Orlando, Florida. And I called the games from right here in my basement. It was an incredible feat that the league pulled off at a reported cost of half a million dollars per team. Now, with franchises taking a big hit financially without fans in the stands, not every NBA team had a G League affiliate represented in this month-long event. But it should come as no surprise that the Raptors were all-in from the get-go. This is a franchise that has already won a G League championship. They were most recently named the G League Franchise of the Year, and they have seen multiple players go through this development system and play huge roles in winning an NBA championship. Most notably, Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet, Chris Boucher, and Pascal Siakam. The Raptors franchise has also used the 905 as a proving ground for front office staff and coaches. An example of that is 905 Vice President of Basketball and Franchise Operations, Courtney Charles. This is his first year on the job, but he has spent 15 years with the organization in a number of roles behind the scenes, and he did it by working his way up. Charles is a former All-American NCAA track star who graduated with a master's degree and then took an unpaid internship with the Raptors. Much like some of those aforementioned players, Charles bet on himself, and it paid off. He stepped into this new role armed with the knowledge of helping the Raptors from afar during their time in the bubble. So he was ready for this challenge, but it was a challenge that went beyond basketball. He had to help a first-time head coach in Patrick Mutombo. He helped manage a roster that turned over almost half of their personnel in a four-week span and had to do it all with a limited number of staff because of limitations within the bubble. He did it with selflessness and practicing servant leadership, which is something that permeates the entire Raptors organization, which he saw firsthand as he was in that locker room in San Francisco as the Raptors celebrated their 2019 NBA championship. So it should come as no surprise that the 905 came just two wins shy of winning another G League championship just over a month ago. But really, winning a title was not what this particular challenge was really about. The Raptors 905 bubble season, very few people have been in a situation like that in the sporting world. 25 games, 15 days. I don't even want to talk about the games. I just want to talk about everything that happened off the floor and what you were a part of, what you saw with players carrying bags, media relations guys doing laundry. You know, how special was it for you to be a part of that and to kind of see people banding together because of, of the opportunity to be able to play basketball safely during a pandemic? Well, first, I um, want to thank you um, for having me. Um, 
what an opportunity to to have a season. I think that's where it starts. Um, the NBA did their bubble, and, and I was part of that in a way of preparing our players and to working with our staff um, as I was going to have to work virtually um, for that bubble scenario. So I knew all of what went into um, the, the NBA getting the NBA bubble up and ready and how much work had to go into making it safe and, and how you had to be accommodating and, and, and eventually allowing more staff in. And, you know, my day was coming as, as we were going much longer there in the playoffs. And uh, if we kept going, I would eventually have gotten in. Um, and, and, and it's when you lose that you realize that you did not have that experience and you uh, did everything you could from afar. And it, it wasn't just enough. Um, so when you got to the G League opportunity and now I'm in a new role, right? I'm, I'm in a new role where um, the accountability is fully on me to make sure that this is successful. Um, and you start looking back at what did we have to do for the NBA? And you just start thinking of all the things that you want to really uh, make sure your staff and your players have. And the G League opportunity gave me a chance to lead. It gave me a chance to be part of basketball because um, at that point now I'm, I'm, I'm working strictly for the G League and I'm, I'm not doing a ton with the NBA at that point with the Raptors. So uh, for me, it was really just to get in and to be able to um, try to take this team to, to a championship. And um, we had a lot of changes. We had um, a new head coach. Um, obviously, you're always going to have some new players on a G League team as, as the, the roster turns over. Um, so for me, it's, it's, a, it's an experience that's different, right? I'm, I'm, I've got a few players on the Raptors that I can say I've known for a couple of years. I've known since our championship run. So on this team, um, you know, you're hoping you got one or two guys that come back and you're, and you're realizing that everything's a fresh slate. So for me, it was a great opportunity of being able to apply myself in my new role. It was a great opportunity to lead our players and our staff. And then it was a great opportunity to, um, actually have a season because again we're not in Canada we we could have been out from that standpoint you know once once the the Canadian situation with the borders and unfortunately the, the numbers and where they were um, we weren't going to be able to host here and um, you know thank thank you to the MLSE and, and Larry and the board and Masai and believing in having a G League team to develop our players was important we were able to have that so again nothing but excitement and nothing but thankfulness for having an opportunity. And, and once you got into it, you realize nothing matters um, when it comes to, yeah, you want great food and you want great accommodations. Um, the weather was, was what you expect from Florida. Uh, so there was no questioning that. Um, but once you get there, you start realizing that it's, it's really what you're gonna put into it. It's not what you uh, are going there to receive. And um, Chad and Pat were great and being leaders and making our players realize that you're here for a short period of time. We're here to get better as basketball um, people and, and to really, you know, just represent 905 as well as we could. And I think we, we did that even though we came up short. I want to hit on something you said there, what you, what you put into it. And, and I think that is something that, you know, some people live their entire lifetime and don't get. So just, just talk about that for me, what, what you put into it, not what you're getting out of it in a situation like this, you know, you didn't win the championship, but everything that was put into it, like, what, what did you learn? What did you see in the growth of people? Cause 
I think it's something that's, that's lost on a lot of people nowadays. Yeah. A lot of times we go into things thinking that if we win a championship, then we get rings and that's, you know, the mindset of going into something to get something right. Um, but for, for us being able to be part of this G league season meant we need to give the season was enough of the giving to us. We need to give to the season, which means, you know, we've got to represent ourselves. Well, we've got to show that this is important to us. Um, again, it's a livelihood, right? So for us, we're, we're doing basketball and everybody will say, Oh, that's amazing, but it's work. Yeah. It's work. Um, everybody can, you know, I think sometimes people criticize sports more than they would even, you know, politics or, or, um, other things in life, um, because it's that easy, right? Mm -hmm. It's how did you not make that shot? You were wide open. Um, but not, you know, the, some people could have 10 shots and not make any, um, and that's the reason why we love it. And that's the reason why we, um, challenge our players to get better. But what people need to realize is that, uh, at some point you have to give to the sport as much as you expect from the sport. And sometimes you got to give more to, <laughs> to think you're even going to get anything out of it because there's so many people that want to play. There's so many people that want to participate. Um, you know, when, when we were there the first couple of days, um, we had a, you know, we had a, uh, um, you know, someone from the catering team came into our meal room and they were replenishing the drinks and I, I said, thank you, you know, appreciate you filling that up. And, and they said, no, thank you, because you guys are here. We're now, you know, employed. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when you start realizing that there's a lot more to this than just what you think you're getting out of it. You're impacting lives. Um, the better product that you put on, the more people want to watch it, which means more people are going to be impacted in a positive way. Um, so for me, it was trying to make sure that every experience was a good one down there and to make people realize that uh, they were in a, in a great opportunity of, of being able to do what it is they love. So it, it's, it's about the giving. And, and, I, and I think our team learned that. And for some of the other teams, maybe that's why they didn't do as well, because they were thinking about other things. They got distracted. Next minute, they know the thing was over and they were ready to go home. We were willing to stay which is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, you've got to want to be there. Yeah. Um, and we were pretty disappointed when we lost. Um, and it's funny because we came home and we're in quarantine and a week later we're, we're talking to uh, each other and just saying, Hey, do you miss that, you know, long walk to the meal room or, you know, do you miss this? And it's just like, those are the experiences that you can't, can't say you had unless you put in the work. Before we go, I want to ask one more specific question. And it's something, you know, I actually wrote about as well about the championship mindset and, and the culture surrounding uh, the entire franchise, because the Raptors 905 really is an extension of the Raptors and, and not just because it's their, their, their farm team or, or, you know, their G league affiliate, as they call it, you can see specific, uh, from Maasai all the way down. But I think the one thing I want to emphasize people out there is that, you know, Courtney Charles was probably the most overqualified intern ever in 2000, 2006, I believe, is when you started with the Raptors. Um, can, can you just explain what you have seen in that 15 years 
with the Raptors organization culminating in the 2019 championship where, you know, we were talking about the bus, you know, being on the bus of the parade after, but then now the fact that we are continuing 2019 isn't the end. This is a championship culture that is now in this organization. And may I say is now within the basketball community across Canada. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, when I look back, I think back when I was an intern and a lot of people, um, as I've shared many times, you know, questioned me being humble enough to take a position um, where you're not necessarily being paid. Um, there's no guarantee uh, of your of a job when you were done. Um, but for me, it was to be part of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. It was for me to be part of the Toronto Raptors, um, two iconic um, entities that uh, obviously are leaders today in, in what it is that uh, they do. So for me, there was no questions about it, but there is um, what we've talked on already, which is you've got to be ready to be selfless. Um, you've got to be ready to come in and learn and to uh, be able to be a team player. Um, and over the years, um, I was talking to somebody the other day and, and I've gone through so many transitions that you don't even realize sometimes you just think of doing what's, what's next and what's best for the team that you don't even realize your bosses of support have gone on, moved on and, and the people who really got to know you have left. And for me, that's what I wanted to continue uh, for everyone who comes to our team is I'm going to be the person that's going to be selfless to help you even be better than me. Mm. Um, and I'm going to help you become part of this team, or I'm going to help you to understand Canada better. or I'm going to help you to become the best player you can be. Um, and it's funny because you don't see all of your paths ahead of you. So when I was working with Norman and Pascal and Fred, and they had to go to the G League, I used to tell them all the time, this is going to be better for you. I'll tell you all the reasons why. And now I actually work for the G League team as if I was working for them before. And it's funny because if I wasn't doing that, I would, I would, I would have to look at myself in the mirror today and say, man, you weren't doing right by those guys by making it seem like the G League was beneath them or you have to go down to the G League. We don't use those terminologies. Patrick Matumbo has been great mm. about highlighting that this is an opportunity for you to get better. And I take deep pride in making sure that our staff realize we're not going to always agree. We're going to have some disagreements to the point that it may seem like we're not on the same page. But this is because this is what it's going to take at this level to do it on the NBA level. In the NBA level, there's so many more games and there's so many more other things that we've got to become tight here. And, and that's what Patrick had to do in the bubble in a short period of time. Brought a whole bunch of players together that don't know each other, that have different agendas. And we all had to say, hey, and this is what I've had to do during my time here with the Raptors and Miss Bobby, uh, Teresa, Dan, they've been able to be instrumental in being leaders of what that selflessness looks like, how we continue to practice it, because that's the part that's tough. You do it once and you think you're good, but that player's gone. You got a new player. He doesn't know you're selfless. You know, you've got new staff. They don't know you're selfless. You've got to continually build it, grow it. And um, that's what John Wiggins was able to do here at 905. And, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to, uh, um, 
be in this position now to continue what, what I've been able to do over the last few years. The culture surrounding this entire franchise is what stands out the most to me. And having crossed paths with you a number of times over the years, it's no surprise that you have elevated to the point that you have. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a point of pride to know that, you know, my home country team values people with values like yourself. Um, thank you for the time. Uh, thank you for everything that you do for the sport in this country. And uh, I, I really appreciate it. And I, I look forward to continuing to kind of grow alongside, you know, the Raptors 905, uh, the Mississauga area, the greater Toronto area, but really across Canada. Well, thank you to you specifically, because I know how selfless you've been and how many um, different ways of impacting this sport that you've participated in and, and for all of what you've done for 905 um, before I even came over. I've, I've always heard from John and Stefano uh, and big shout outs to you and, and thank you for all your support um, and, and your viewers um, should know that they've got a great uh, wealth of information in you alone. So not only the people that you'll be hosting, but for the stories that you can share alongside that are, are stuff um, that they should be really um, engaged and ready to hear from. So again, keep up the good work and I, I, I enjoy and have the pleasure of working with you and, and thank you. That was uh, Courtney Charles, the Vice President of Basketball and Franchise Operations for the Raptors 905 with a compliment that I really did not see coming, but I probably should have because that is a man that, takes great joy in uplifting others. And I can tell you this, that the Raptors franchise from top to bottom, all the way down to the 905, really are full of individuals like that. And I think we are lucky to have people like that at the highest levels of basketball in this country. This is Jason Tom for the NPH Hour signing off until we speak again next week here on News Talk Saga 960 AM. <laughs>